Today's show is brought to you by Coin Gaming and Permission.io. We'll hear more about those later on in the episode. What's up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and this is Untold Stories, where twice a week we dive deep with crypto's most influential leaders to find out how this movement really came to be, like how it all got started and how we ended up where we are today. I do the show on video and audio, so check us out on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, or untoldstories.com. And of course, I love emails, messages, uh, feedback, suggestions, guests, ideas, companies, anyone, contact me. I love it. This show is powered by BlockWorks Group, a media and production company that has over 20 podcasts in their network, including mine and all my friends. So make sure you check them out at blockworksgroup.io. You are listening to Untold Stories. And with that, today's amazing guest is my good friend, Jenna Pilgrim. She's a hyper connector. She's been in the space for so many years. And when you watch the show, you'll see she has hundreds of Bitcoin and crypto conference badges. She knows everyone and everything. And we talked about amazing topics because she's the CEO of Streambed Media. We talked about the social norms of today. We really got into some cool topics like embedded, embedded cultural assumptions. Think about that for a second. We have these cultural assumptions that are embedded like sports. And when they went away, it made us all fucked up emotionally. We went into that topic and a lot of other ones. Talk to you guys right in a minute. Jenna Pilgrim, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. You've been uh, a connector in the space for so long. Uh, everyone, you know, you kind of dominate the, you know, crypto has been so uh, virtual. And so like when COVID came, everything was, was we were, we were used to being virtual already. We all just got back into our used to, you know, telegram rooms and stuff. But uh, there is a huge physical crypto scene. We meet at conferences every year. There are uh, friend groups and 100, 200 person dinners. And you were uh, kind of, you came into the scene being very much a part of that. And it was, uh, I remember in the early days of, of getting into Bitcoin and you, you talk about all these different stories and, and, and we can talk about the things that you've done in the space. But really, tell me like, who you are and and why you got into into crypto and um, more importantly, like why did you decide to become this connector person, putting all events together and and putting dinners together and just being someone who who wants to bring everyone together? Yeah. Um, so first of all, thank you. That's an awesome glowing introduction. Um, so yeah, you should talk to my PR people. They they might hire you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. I think I stumbled. I say that on all my social media platforms, I say that I'm a crypto nerd by accident. Yeah. Um, I stumbled into the space. I know we we just talked about this, but I uh, stumbled into the space both um, because I didn't want to pay a hundred dollars in wire transfer fees, but also because it, uh, I heard the chancellor of my university, uh, Don Tapstock, speak, um, and it was the first time that I'd ever heard a business person talk about Bitcoin. And I was like, I know what Bitcoin is. Like nobody else is understanding like how insane this whole world of like this whole, because it was like very Wild West crypto back in 2015 when he gave the speech. It still is really Wild West now, but there's a lot more like quote unquote adult adult money or adult players at least. Yeah, but that's such bullshit because you see like the Uniswap (laughs) and crazy things like that. And people saying, I don't want to launch a token because I accidentally pumped it. It's like, yeah, or you're like, you're like, oh, I don't want to, I don't even want to get into the token space because I'm afraid of security laws. And you're like, okay, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't talk about it or you shouldn't play in it. So I think True. the the big thing for me is that I've always believed that connecting good people together can never have any 
wrong or any any sort of bad things, nothing bad can ever happen from connecting two good people to one another. Whether they have any sort of business together, I mean, always is very far down the road. And I, I understand that a lot of that potential is still yet to be realized. And and I I realized really early on that when you meet interesting people, all they want to do is be introduced to other interesting people who can make them do other cool stuff who maybe not now, but maybe years and years and years down the road, they may find co-founders, they may find um, other, they may find, you know, their next, their next venture, they may find their next investor, they may find their next person. And like, I just like doing the right thing. Like that seems like the right thing to do for me. And because there was kind of a, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a software developer, but I, I don't ever shy away from software developer conversations. And I think that piece of it, was a part that I felt that I could play a really key role as a sort of quote unquote like hyper connector because mm. I didn't have that developer role. I leaned hard into the like social, like highly social role. I have no social ceiling at all. I'm like no social threshold. I'm like, I will at a conference, I'll probably work for like, I'll go if the conference is four days long, I'll arrive three days early and leave three days late or four days late, stay in whatever city it is. And I'll sleep maybe like two or three hours a night for 10 days. Yeah, and I was then, like starting like five like five years ago. I, I'd be going to events and and then I just like talk to Jenna. Jenna, Jenna's doing this. Jenna's putting this together. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> who is this person? Uh, but it was very refreshing and needed because uh, you know the the industry was and still is very like bro code dominated. Yeah, uh, and it was it great to like kind of punch through that that glass ceiling. But what did you do? before you got in into the space? And then how did you end up working with the Tapscots? You're, you're talking about them. Uh, uh, that is your first like foray into the into the industry. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm actually a what's uh, what I guess they're calling now a blockchain native um, career person. I have never had a career that is not blockchain related. Um, I was in school before I worked with the Tapscots. I never heard that quote before, but that's not fair because I mean, like I had like date. Uh, I'm not a blockchain native then. I never had a career before crypto, but I had, I had a job. I didn't have a career before crypto either. I started I started my first company when I was 18, but it was a like social media services company. Yeah, I fixed printers and shit. Does that count? Yeah. Uh yeah, I guess. Were you was it a side gig or was that like your main gig? No, I paid I, I did to pay for like college or whatever. Yeah, um, okay, but I, you were in college. So yeah, I would you're climb a on people's too. roofs and install yeah. cell phone antennas on their beach houses. <laughs> that was my job. Awesome. It was the best job. I awesome. figured out that you can buy I was a, I was a bartender. Oh, I, it's the one thing I've always wanted to do and not done. I can yeah. only make that, that if anything drinks. made me like kind of, it made me kind of like brave and have this air of like, whatever, you're going to like me or you're not like, okay. <laughs> your Peter thing. McCormick once came over and spent the night at our house and, um, our, yeah, our, our house is like a big open door policy. Peter made me the best whiskey sour and he made one for himself. And as soon as he sat down on my couch with the whiskey sour in his hand, he he fell asleep. Yeah. No. Peter McCormick from What Bitcoin Did. Everyone's listening to the show right now. They're like, what? Really? It's Peter. Yes. One of my closest friends. He's great. Oh, my He's God. Asleep. Yeah. Um, so, That's amazing. But, but going back to that question, like, how did uh, how did you get what was that jump for you that, that you're blockchain native? So you didn't really think about working in any other industry. This was your first thing. Now, was uh, this yeah, I needed for a money? job. I was graduating from school. Um, I was between third and fourth year. Um, and I was working at the alumni association at my university. And for one week a year, the chancellor, so Don Topscott was the chancellor. They're kind of like, um, I'm a Canadian, so this is a Canadian reference. Um, the, the queen, where 
the, the chancellor is kind of of the university is kind of like the queen where they just like come for one week a year. They shake lots of hands, kiss lots of babies, and then they leave and then they go off yeah. and do whatever they do the rest of the time. So that's what the chancellor is. So I was like, okay, I've read this. I like, I've read his previous book. So I did a review of Don's previous book on my blog that nobody reads. Um, and, and it didn't matter because I tweeted the article to him and was like, Hey, we met this week at a convocation. Cause that's when all the students graduate. And, um, I, during, during my, that week, um, he stays in alumni house, which was happened to be my office building as well. And so, uh, because he was staying there, I was like, okay, well he has to have breakfast at some time. He's like highly scheduled through the whole day. So I showed up at work at like seven o'clock in the morning, pretending that I always showed up at work at seven o'clock in the morning. I didn't at all. And, um, and waited and waited in my office for him to like hear him go downstairs to get coffee. And so I went to the kitchen to get coffee at the same time so that I could actually like have some sort of FaceTime with him. Yeah. But my fake didn't really work because, um, if you arrive at the office first, you should know where the coffee is. And I had no idea where the coffee was because it was always made for me when I got to work. Um, cause I got to work at like nine o'clock, like everybody else. Um, and so my first memory of Don is trying to search around alumni house to find the coffee can. <laughs> Did yeah. you say anything to him? No. And then, so what happened I mean, after that? Yeah. So after that, we met a couple of times during, during that week. And then he gave me a copy of his previous book, um, the digital economy, just cause we'd had some interesting conversations about what I thought for the future of the world. And, and he was writing a book about Bitcoin. And I was like, Oh, you're writing a book about Bitcoin. That's so cool. I have some Bitcoin. Like this is what, and he's like, Oh, that's really interesting. I'm like good for you. Whatever. Small yeah. person. Um, and then, um, we, uh, met a couple times in Toronto after that. He's like, I want to meet and talk about this, this review that you did. Cause I was like, why my fellow 20 somethings should care about John Tapscott's the digital economy. He was like, we learn things quicker. We, you know, we, uh, consume, I don't remember what the actual points were, but it's like we consume media at such a good pace or at such a fast pace, which means we have a really high bullshit meter, which means we, you know, need to learn things faster. And the sort of the, the economy is changing for job, new jobs for people in the work, in, in the like incoming economy, I guess. People have um, become so a lot less that, gullible a nowadays. Times. Pardon? I said people have become a lot less gullible nowadays. Yes, they have. They have, which I think is both good and bad. Um, it it high, more highly illustrates the need for a reputation mechanism, which then brings me to why why we started StreetBed is to do yes. that, to try to do a reputation mechanism. Wait, you're not allowed to bring up your project yet. Only I'm, I'm allowed not, to do I'm that. Not, this I'm is not, my show. I'm, 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 I'm I know, I'm I know, I know. Okay, fine. Because I need to fine. make like I'm a good host and I can segue into things and I have preparations. <laughs> I'm joking, but um, but take it away. No, it's more like like all of the things that I did before, before StreamBed led me to why StreamBed is important and why we actually care about the things that we do. Um, and, and working with the tap spots really showed me kind of the breadth of, of different blockchain applications that there could be. So after the, after the book, um, the blockchain revolution book, which obviously illustrates like everything from financial services to government, to all kinds of other applications. I interviewed like 150 people for the book. It was a very broad um, sort of stretch at like, let's poke all of these things and yeah. see what actually takes off. Um, that sort of introduced me to the breadth of blockchain applications that could be because it was all about finance back then. It's so it's so intense that, you know, you go through life uh, studying without realizing it, right? And you're like, theorizing and hypothesizing, and then you're coming through with uh, different like solutions to problems that you didn't really know were problems. 
And then one day you figure out a way to start a business to do that whole culmination, like that amalgamation. Uh, I actually love that word amalgamation. Uh, my company is called Amalgamated Crypto. And the bank uh-huh. is like, what is, they don't care about the crypto, but they're like, what is amalgamated? Amalgamated? Yeah, yeah, they can't pronounce it. They Google it. It's my favorite word. It's just an, an yeah. amalgamation. Um, but um, I forgot where I was going with this. But but so, so yeah, so you, everything kind of comes together. So like you were saying, you started throwing out some problems when you mentioned Streambed and you talked about reputational management. You talked about um, um, one thing that you, you were going to lead into is 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 information, right? And fake news. And that's another problem that you see nowadays. And we talk about yeah. people being gullible. And when people are not gullible anymore, uh, we're less willing to be open-minded because we, we become so jaded. Yeah. So I feel like the world is a lot more jaded now. Or it's a lot everything. more pigeonholed where it's like, that's I care word, yeah. about this swath of things. And like, that's the only way that you can actually get somewhere in like, I've, I, my whole, like when I first, first started be doing this, like hyper connector or whatever, connecting with people, my whole thing was like, okay, I'll always take the first meeting because I would expect the same from people that I connect to other people where it's like, I will, people value their relationship with me enough that they sort of value the introduction. So they'll always take the first meeting. So in doing that, in the art of eating your own dog food, I try to always take the first meeting. But now it's like someone, there, there's now a small group of people where, or the group of people who you accept that you will always take the first meeting from them. The group of people who can introduce you to other people is the smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller because it's just, there just isn't, you have to pigeon yourself into this into a specific vertical or a specific area. And if it's outside that vertical, you just can't, you just can't donate the brain power to it that is needed to actually sort of move, move both yourself forward and move other people forward. So that's, it's so I think, true one that of the you biggest say that. challenges. It, it's layers, right? So now it's, it's, I'm thinking as you're saying it, it's so true because there are, right, people that can call me, email me, text me right now and I'll answer, right? There yeah. are people that I w- I'll call back. Then there are people that, will message me or email me and I'll have to answer. And I pride myself on, I love when my fans and listeners, everyone email me. I try really hard. I always answer every, a uh, uh, lot of emails and everything. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and then there are those people that introduce me to other people. And mm-hmm. those people are the real value to me because those people are out there really doing the work, finding the good projects. Yeah. A lot of the success that I've had in the past in crypto have been projects that I've been introduced to by other people. I, I can't take any credit for finding projects yeah. on my own. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You've exactly. introduced me to people and things like uh, it's in. I mean, uh, it's just it's just how it goes. So, but so there's there's I, those specific relationships where you're like, I know that if this person introduces me to someone, then they're good. Um, but but I think the harder ones to weed out are the ones where someone asks you, they say, can I introduce you to this person? Or this person would like an introduction to you. Um, like those ones are harder because then I have to employ my like resolve to say, okay, does this yeah. person based on their online profile or based on whatever, do I want to take this meeting? Yes or no. And like, it's easier to say no, obviously. But, but there's like, reputational risk too, because if you introduce yeah, someone and it doesn't no. work, yeah. What if I check out somebody's online profile it doesn't, it doesn't measure up to whatever my dumb standards are of picking people, then, then it, I don't take the meeting and then they become this huge thing. Like I've now just, yeah. 
So how does StreamBed solve these problems? What have you done with that? I started playing around with it, connecting all my social channels. Uh, tell us about that and how you've, uh, you know, you you wrote a letter to, I was just reading earlier, the, uh, a letter that you wrote, like, why we're here. And I, and I love that. But uh, just talk about even what you wrote about in that letter. Sure. Yeah. So uh, the, the internet is, or social media in particular, I don't want to sort of talk about broad strokes, the internet, but social media in particular has created these little um, self-reinforcing ecosystems within each of the platforms that exist. And me as a person, I have the me who's on Instagram and the me who's on Twitter and the me who's who has a credit yeah. card and the me who has a passport and the me who's a Canadian and the me who's all of these other things. But all of those pieces, if correlated together, can prove to the world that I am a real person. And the more I act, the more I actively try to, to connect those things together, the bigger reputation I have. Does that make sense? Yes. So if I'm able to pull together, if I'm able to, to incentivize, if StreamBed is able to incentivize our users to correlate those data points ourselves or data points themselves, then that is the only way that we can sort of collectively rise above the the walled garden platforms that exist. What is that like metadata? What is that data that you're talking about though? Or data points? So that, that can be data about um, me contributing to this podcast. It can be about me speaking at, I'm speaking at the, um, actually competing in the, the Wyoming hackathon tomorrow. Um, uh, it could be me participating in, you know, Are me, you in me. Wyoming right now? Uh, no, no, no. I'm in Canada. Uh, I'm in Canada. I gotta go to Wyoming. Oh, you can't oh, come to the U.S. right now. Yeah, I can, I can come, but I would have to isolate when I get back to Canada, and I don't want to do that. You have all your conference badges behind you. I do, yeah, yeah. This is There's, a time that I should remind our listeners that we do video, too. You can check us out on YouTube. And if you were watching, you'd know all the comp. She's actually holding up a private key, and she's giving away free Uniswap. Oh, no, it's gone. Oh, it's, gone. <laughs> yeah, it's all gone, guys. Sorry. <laughs> Dude, people are going to get mad at me now. You're listening in their car, like shit. Pulled over oh, the side no. of the road. Must go to YouTube. I love yeah. the, doing this show. Was the best decision I ever made. I love the listeners. I love yeah. doing this so much. I don't do anything else. There's nothing else that excites me in a day, and then doing yeah, this show. Because there's like this. It's starting a podcast is something I've thought about for quite a long time. It's not in the cards right now, I don't think. But yeah, this whole just looking at the future of media and like there's so many interesting people with interesting opinions. That's like what social media future looks like yeah. um and and i think why why i mean we could go back to like why why we started street bed it's it's that this critical reputation layer was missing and i think people who people who want to do the right thing are not being rewarded for doing the right thing they're just being punished for doing the wrong thing and so being able to sort of turn those incentive mechanisms around and say if you're willing to put in the work then this is going to reward you in some way. It could be paid by a paid directly by a brand for endorsing some product, or it could be, um, you know, it could be interacting with a conference, being rewarded for every single like like this is a perfect example. I have all these conference badges, but like, what is that worth to me? Like, how do I prove that I actually Memories. attended all of these things, or that I met all of these people at True. stuff? Or there's no way to quantify any of that. So, so that's what we're trying to do. I've been talking about sportsbet.io and their clubhouse, which is a huge community. When you play, when you make a bet, when you do a spin, they pay you with free hands, cash back, and bets. 
You can play all sorts of games and they've been doing this for so long in a free, fair and transparent way on the blockchain. Well, that's not why I'm excited today and why I'm talking to you about this. Because now they're taking this community to the next level by sponsoring the Southampton Football Club. You're talking about millions of British football fans can now see the Bitcoin logo on the front and the sleeve of also the Walford Football Club. I mean, how amazing is that? You're talking about not sponsoring your company. You're talking about sponsoring Bitcoin and crypto. Millions of people around the world are now going to be seeing this and joining the Sportsbet.io clubhouse to earn more points, to play games, and to be part of that community. There's really no other way that you can use and spend your crypto and then actually earn more back and be part of this whole community. So listen, make sure you guys join sportsbet.io forward slash podcast. Give them the support that they deserve because they're supporting us and me. Go play some games, get some free hands, get some free spins, and make sure you check them out and support them on the Southampton Football Club's first game. Whenever that's going to be, check it out. We've become okay with the fact that our big tech giants are selling our data. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. We use all these apps and they take our data and they sell it and they make money. Why are we okay with that? My sponsor, Permission.io, has decided to figure out a way to take all that Silicon Valley power and put it back in the hands of you and me. You're asking yourself how? Well, check it out, permission.io forward slash Charlie. They figured out a way that lets you take back control of your data and earn information, earn rewards, and earn content. You now have the ability to basically say, this is all my data. And when advertisers come along or people wanna come along and buy that data, uh, you get a piece of the action. So check them out, permission.io forward slash Charlie. I love talking about projects that are cool. I love talking about different companies that are so cool and that support me because I want to support them. Permission.io forward slash Charlie. So I understand from a, a positive side of things how how it would all work and and and, and why it's important. Um, but how do you, uh, in a scenario where someone is using the platform to push like, uh, uh, false information, but it's false information that people want to hear. So it's like false information, like, Hey, Charlie's giving away free Uniswap. It's not yeah, true, yeah. but it's going to get, you know, pushed up to the top. It's going to get, and then, you know, right now the way like Facebook and Twitter work. And the reason that centralized media has such a problem with fake news is that their platforms are built to push popular content to the front, yeah. not necessarily good content. Yeah, they're built to push drama because drama is exciting and people want to yes. watch it. That's why that's why everything on CNN is breaking news. You know, it's funny. They never get rid of that ticker of breaking news. <laughs> never, ever. I'm like, I used to be a loyal CNN watcher and like, we won't get into politics. But at the same time, I'm like, I can't even even I can't put up with this. Like, yeah. 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 So how do you like uh, go back to the question? Like, how do you uh, solve that problem? The or problem how do we solve of, the problem oh, collectively? Um, so, so the ideal situation would be that there are enough good actors actively correlating data points together so that something that, I mean, it's, if it's false information that people want to watch or that, you know, that like the drunk Nancy Pelosi video, or I think the, yes, it, yes, okay, people so want like, to watch it, but they don't necessarily want to endorse it. So like, situation for example, where, it's a video of Nancy Pelosi. Nancy yeah. Pelosi would need to endorse that video as well. And she wouldn't. So the engine wouldn't care about it as uh, much. So what about a situation where like the other day they had a situation where 
they were saying that the forest fires were started by left-wing groups, you know, and now it sounds great. We want to believe it. And not that I want to believe it, but I'm saying there are yeah. people that <laughs> want to believe it. Yeah. Want to, um, and then so it gets, and it sounds like it could be real. And it's like, it's not that it's fake, but it's just not. So then how, something <sighs> like that has to root back to, and this is the, the genuine problem of fake news is news. We, we have trusted in past um, news coming from our institutions. So in, in that response, in that respect, Yes, that is a drama worthy, drama worthy thing to talk about. That is a headline worthy thing to write about. But who do we trust to to tell us that kind of information? We probably trust the police. We probably trust the fire investigator. Like those parties are the ones who need to either endorse or not uh, endorse facts. So why? So why? Why can't like Facebook do something like that? Like why did Facebook have such a problem? Whereas like if you what you're saying is essentially. If you're an actor, you're now being incentivized to post information uh, or continuing putting up content. Whereas if you if you post something that's like fake or wrong or you find out to be false or you lied or something, then your score ranking or whatever goes down. Your reverb score is that, you know, that's what you call it. Yeah. How does that kind of all factor into play? What is the score mechanism now? So the score mechanism um, is based both on your um, online profile but it's also ba- like your current online profile, but it's also based on your activity. So we're still figuring out how to like reward users in the right way. And our, our data scientist is like outrageously busy on that kind yeah. of thing because figuring out like, okay, if we try this, then at scale, what if all of these bad actors do this? Like that is the conversation that happens. And and I think the the biggest thing is that we need to assi- we need to either assign or or sort of start at a higher caliber those institutions that that we trust to give us good information but unfortunately those institutions like the you know like the police service or like the the our public works or or our government no matter what country you're in like the government is also not willing to be associated with um with information about them that may be dramatic that you know they may have done something wrong they don't want their faults to be also as bright as their as their successes, and so we're still trying to figure out how to to link back um, to link back content for for like to, or to disincentivize bad actors. But it's it's a balancing act to figure out how to reward those. We want to start with public institutions that are trusted now to give good data, but once you get into the middle, then it gets to be this huge deep gray area. What type of, of, of issues do you see we're going to see with like the coming uh, elections in the U.S. and um, like in November uh, and then like, you know, as coronavirus and what type of um, social trends did you see over the past year that being someone who's very into marketing but also works in, in, in the social economy? What did you look at? What did you notice? What did you see as trends of people of how we – like interact with each other on the internet. Um, and then how, how do you think that's going to like change us for the future of how we all work together? Like, will we go back to those conferences and everything? So I, I see that as a two, two different, two-part question. not two, I would say two, two pronged response. Um, yeah, sorry. I do that all the time. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, so it's a very thoughtful question. Um, and, and the honest answer is, I, I don't know. 
I would like to know. Um, but I think the biggest thing that the pandemic and the whole shutdown and everything showed me was how, um, how brands especially relate directly to their audiences and how those brands are now reinventing the way that they connect with their customers, users, followers, etc. how they interact with the online world and, and how many brands fell behind on issues such as racial, racial injustices, how many brands fell behind on paying attention to what the pandemic is actually doing to their customers, or did they just sort of roll back and say, okay, well, just because we don't know what to say, we're not going to say anything. That, like brands that did that, and, I mean, I know it's like a long tail thing, but in terms of like purchasing, in terms of like consumer behavior, I think the pandemic showed me that that companies that leaned in to how difficult life is and was, especially like life in 2020 is not an easy thing to do. <laughs> like, like companies no. that leaned into the humanity of it, that human piece of like, yes, this sucks. We're having trouble with it too. These are, you know, these are the ways that we're trying to help those companies, I think we're going to see rise above. So you see something like, uh, like John Krasinski's, um, some good news. Did you, did you watch those oh, videos? Yeah. They were I, I don't amazing. watch the videos, but I, I heard about it. He basically posts every day, like just some good news. It's a whole website. Yeah, so like right? One, one week, every week he would do these awesome shows. I think he did a series of 10, 10 weeks, um, through the pandemic. Some, the, some good news podcasts were, um, or, uh, videos were amazing and they were highly collaborative. So like, yeah, so so the some good news ones like they got the whole cast of Hamilton to perform for this one little girl and they recorded it on Zoom and then they broadcasted it to everybody. To this one girl who like had tickets to Hamilton and couldn't go to the show. So that was one. Another one was they got the Jonas Brothers and Billie Eilish and like a bunch of top artists to play at a like virtual prom and then they got everybody to send in videos of them attending the virtual prom in their living rooms. And then they put that all together with like the cool, like it, it was the, the. Oh, this is so cool. So Why don't I cool. watch this? And every single episode, I cried like a baby because the whole. It's only on YouTube though, right? How long are the episodes? Uh, it's on YouTube and Facebook. They're usually each episode's like 20 minutes long, maybe 15 okay. minutes long. There, it, but in every episode, they oh, get, at, by the end, it got a little bit much. Like they did a virtual, a virtual graduation and they did a bunch of, but those ones are highly collaborative, good. Yeah environments and those like brands and brands like AT&T or um I think AT&T Let's Pepsi. talk about that for a second because I'm I'm curious uh, uh uh that's a, this is a great topic like um all these different companies and brands how they pivoted right like what do you think of TV commercials when you see them wearing masks like an American like a American Express or Visa commercial yeah. or something like that Yeah so so for for uh, uh the, my favorite one is uh Apple so Apple put out a, uh, a commercial that I've watched a bunch of times. Um, I cry every time I watch it. I'll spot and send it to you. Um, and it's it's a it says the world stopped, but we didn't. Um, and there's uh, all of these people and all the different innovative ways that they're using Apple products to you know connect with their grandparents or to to um, to uh, have virtual yoga or to to um, play a, a musical instrument using Apple products to record stuff or or whatever. And, and seeing the humanity of brands recognizing what is happening and then agreeing to associate themselves with something like the Some Good News Network. So for example, uh, one of the episodes of Some Good News was um, they took a whole bunch of... Because uh, John Krasinski is based in Boston. And they took like five or six nurses 
and they put them on a bus and they took them to Fenway Park and they like let them wander around and like run the bases and like, you know, be in, in Fenway, in Fenway Park, like see, and then John Krasinski comes up on the, on the screen with like the whole Red Sox team and like, and, and they, um, they basically told them that AT&T was going to pay their phone bills for the next year of so, like all the nurses, all the first yeah, responders so in, in the U S or something. And you're so, seeing a huge, like K shaped, right? Well, you finish your thought first. So what the end of my thought was that, um, you see, you see AT&T, that would be a tiny thing for them to do for them to just say, we're going to pay all the first responders bills till through the end of 2020. That would be a, such a huge thing for anyone who is a first responder that they're going to tell everybody about it. And that yes. is the best marketing that AT&T can buy. We saw this year a huge human connection with brands mm -hmm. and myself included. And I know everyone listening will admit that they felt this year a very emotional connection to some brands. For example, like I'm I've always been loyal to Marriott because when you travel to the all over, you just get a lot of free hotel rooms, free nights. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, and you yeah, just, yeah, not, not a complicated reason. But I remember during COVID in March. And I saved it. Marriott posted this message. And I'll probably cry when I read it to you. Marriott on their website, like they posted this message and I saved it. And I said, uh, it said, we will travel again until then. Stay healthy, stay positive, stay safe. We're here waiting for your return. Just Marriott. Yeah. And I was like, I just started. I'm emotional. Right? I'm yeah. like bawling when I'm reading this because. Yeah, you're like, they're. They're, they know they're, they're not waiting, coming back, but we will come back someday. I know, like, not, but, <laughs> but when they posted that, it was March. And we, like, do you remember, like, none of us thought the world was coming back to normal. It was the height. No one knew what was going on. The, the presidents and the governors were getting on TV, fumbling there. No one knew what was going yeah. on. We were, yeah, I, listened, I world, listened to the Canadian prime minister more in the last, like, yeah. six months than I have in my whole life. And I'm so a politically we, engaged person. Right. Um, you definitely are. And we, we now have this like emotional connection to brands for better, or for worse. It was like a, as I was saying, like a K shaped, right? Like with the whole recovery, like some brands did it really well. Other brands screwed up. Like, uh, I'm an Airbnb super host and I, my business, it's a huge income stream for my family. And, uh, when Airbnb, when, when this all came out, Airbnb was like, yeah, we're just going to allow all these cancellations and Airbnb wasn't <gasps> going to pay for any of it. They were just going to say, we're just no. changing the policy and they allowed everyone to cancel. And I said, yeah, but like, you what have to understand, to like, <laughs> what about all these hosts? Like we rely on this yeah, income. Yeah, We've exactly. made how the housekeepers, the cleaners, the, the construction. And like so all of those people can't be unbooked. And so Airbnb then came back and they were like, yeah, well, we're going to actually cover 25% of the refund cost for these three weeks. And I said, you know, you have these hosts. We are loyal to you. We don't yeah. host on VRBO, on HomeAway. Yeah. We are loyal to you. We run our businesses and our incomes. And I'm very close with all the other Airbnb hosts too. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I was like taken aback by the fact that Airbnb just took through their host to the wayside when that's their biggest asset. It's it's yeah. the guests are not loyal. Guests check all the HomeAways. The, yeah. the, so you're right. There is like a huge factor here. Uh, with sports too. Let's talk about sports. Did we realize how emotional connection we have with the consistency or is it like 
uh, the continuality or is it the continuity of sports? Maybe mm-hmm. like we, it's, sports it's, a, su- it's an embedded assumption. We assume that that's sports are a great happen. quote. It's an embedded. Assu- I gotta write that down. <laughs> no, because what else are embedded assumptions? It right? It's an embedded cultural assumption. I gotta write. That's a great quote. Embedded cultural obsession. So there are these things. Assumption. Embedded cultural yeah, assumption. assumption. Yeah. You. And then the thing is, when you, you know, when you assume or we have these things that are built in, it's like uh, statements of fact or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that really affected us such a big deal. And and that's why there was such a rush to get sports back so quickly, even if there were no fans. For my thought, my thoughts on that aside, um, I am yeah. I am a sports fan myself, but I can say I can play devil's advocate in in the, this scenario because I, I like watching sports. I'm an avid Toronto Raptors fan, like Rip Raptors, and yeah. didn't win this year. That's okay. They won last year, um, but uh, I think that not the many basketball absence, fans left. Pardon? Not many basketball fans left. There's Canada is a huge place for basketball. Canada like, and Japan, right? Or it's baseball. Yeah, but there's well, there's only one team in Canada, right? So everybody has like one rally point, oh, which is yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like you know my team v your team. It's like everybody loves basketball. Um, the Canadian Raptors. But I think the the as this I can use it again embedded cultural assumption um, in families in particular those who had and, and you may disagree um, those who had very avid like hardcore like fans and it's usually I don't want to I don't want to make a gender assumption but it's usually men um, who have who you know always watch the NHL every time there's a game, every time they watch hockey every night or they watch basketball every night or they watch whatever every night, the, the rushed return to sports and the fact that there are always games on, I mean, so there's two parts of it. There's when sports were shut down, I have friends who like they, their marriages were in trouble or there, there, there was, you know, family challenges, but then Mm. when sports weren't there anymore, those challenges were both brought to light, which is difficult, but they were also like people's, Home lives are in a much better state. Do you know how many couples have place. conversations over sports? Do you know how many fathers have their talks with their sons over, uh, you know, a basketball game or yeah. something like that? But do you know how many, how many husbands are avoiding conflict and watch sports every night and their wife doesn't want to? True. And so they, they lose four hours of time every night that they could be spending with their family. It's a double-edged sword, as they say. I don't actually believe that. No, no, you're right. No, but it's a double-edged sword. And I'm thinking back now during during COVID, during like March, April, May. And now that there's sports on all the time, it actually like overflows that narrative where it's like, if I want to watch basketball 100% of the time, there's always a game on or there's always an NHL game on. So it it almost came back in in such high dose that I didn't actually want to watch any of it. Everyone's talking about like politicizing institutions. And I want to explore this a little bit. Um, you know, we're talking about like how the health department is politicized. And oh, man. Do, you, do you think that we've, tell me about this statement. Tell me if you disagree or agree with this. Uh, citizens of countries have become, uh, we've become more jaded to trust our government as a whole. However, we've become less jaded in trusting various institutions in our government. Um. I think it depends on the country that you're in. Okay. It d- actually so think- it depends not depends on the specific country, it depends on the style of government that is implemented in that country. 
Okay, let's talk to like like at least like democratic or our pseudo democratic countries, you know, our pretend democratic countries that we live in. Um, sure. In those countries where we have like different institutions, judiciary, and you have like a, a, a health department. I guess my theory here is that you take like a health department now and we follow them through and through. We trust we them completely. Yeah, we, we trust and, we trust HHS and we trust the CDC and we trust. Yeah, and we should. I'm not saying that's a should. bad thing. We should. I agree. In fact, if there was one institution to trust in our countries, it would be our health departments. Yeah, I agree. However, now. These departments have themselves now become part of the political process bullshit now. Can we still trust them in the same way that we've trusted them before? I would say. Are doctors the new politicians? Because <laughs> mine is. Mine writes um, an email every week. He's telling you to vote for now. What? My doctor. Really? Yeah, it's <laughs> telling you. It's a real thing now. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that is that is most most evident in the United States because everyone is telling you who to vote for. Like that's it's we can true. go back to sports like the NBA is telling you who to vote for. Like the NBA is has this whole campaign about, OK, now we have to turn all the arenas into voting centers, which is great. All of this, like, please vote, idea, though. please vote is a great, great narrative. And I think anyone can fly the please vote flag. But the the who should you vote for flag is is a lot or has a lot to do with how how the government or how the political process is funded so i'm surprised there is no i would say that appointed appointed commissioners or appointed positions um have have a somewhat political autonomy i mean barring if we get into judiciary we could talk about my absolute like grief fest over the weekend about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but. Oh, um, I know. You know, uh, Courtney was like, I was like, I probably said it five times and I was like, ah, shit, we lost one. We lost, like, I was dreading her death Yeah. for months. I was dreading I cri- it. I cried for two days. Like, Courtney I was like. Was in my, I cried in my empty bathtub. Like, yeah. It was bad. I agree with that. I, I, like, empathize with that because, because I feel like she was like, I don't even know where she fell in the political spectrum, but she said one quote and liberal, it was a great quote. She said moderate, liberal, moderate. Well, but it depends where you are, right? Like it could be, she could be, she's conservative in some place in England. She'd yeah. be considered a conservative, right? Yeah. In Canada, she she'd had, be a conservative too. She had one quote that I believe with that I be- really believed in. And she said that the, the, the bend of justice will always, cur- the, the bend of something will always curve towards ju- the bend of humanity will always curve towards justice. Like humans, yeah. like on a long spectrum, because I believe the same thing with crypto, like on a spectrum, most cryptos f- go towards that decentralization aspect. Um, yeah. But yeah, like she said that that we lean towards justice, but only if like humanity as only as if we like commit to that. And I feel like we've lost that commitment to. Yeah. And, and I think that comes back to know. legitimacy. So um uh, Seymour Martin Lipset said that says that legitimacy is the fundamental belief that the system that you are playing in is the best system. Um, that's that's you know the legit. If you talk about the legitimacy of democratic institutions, you say uh, I believe that the democratic institution is legitimate because I believe that democracy is the best thing for the job. I think that the, this crisis of legitimacy that we're having is about okay. 
do we believe that democracy is the best or or is it too slanted like you said like is it too is it too politically influenced now that we need to look at i mean other systems that we need to look at people diving deeper into socialism or into whatever like there's all kinds of different ways you could go and i think that to bring it back to crypto the interesting part and why i love playing this like hyper connector kind of role is because we all abide by the same, apart from a couple of you know villains, um, we abide by the same fundamental belief that if we're all rolling a boulder up a hill, we abide by the same belief that the boulder needs to make it to the top of the hill. Like that principle is our legitimacy. Yes, the boulder of decentralization, self-sovereign identity, of you know uh, everyone. Everyone, you know, fairness. So it doesn't and, matter if we disagree on how to push the ball up up the hill as long as we get there. Exactly. Exactly. People may people may be trying different ways. They may chip off a piece of the boulder on the way to like that's all the investors and traders and like yeah. soul suckers. Um, but soul suckers. <laughs> yeah, my opinions on trading aside. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's they may chip off a piece of the boulder. But at the end of the day, some form of the boulder is going to make it to the top of the hill. And that's why like something like our our different communities that, of founders, like that, that is why I do this. That's Satoshi's endgame because the, you said it right. You said that it's the best. We look for the best. And so there's only one best and best is very subjective or objective. Which one? It's objective, yeah, right? Subjective. 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 It's very subjective, right? You can't quantify it. It's very always have to make sure I'm saying the right words. It's it's English isn't my first language. It's not something really? that you could put a number on, right? So I think Satoshi's end game was eventually when enough people are in the crypto ecosystem. And I firmly believe that Satoshi foresaw other coins and other tokens and stuff. So and so when and if enough people are in the system and now there's like an ins, there's like a very small, very, very, very small common bond. And that common bond is we all want it to go up the hill. That's yeah. the only common bond. Because if the thing, the integrity fails, it it dies and we all fail. So there's like that. So Satoshi realized that. And I think to take it a step further, though, Satoshi realized that eventually everyone else will say, hey, I don't care about like being fair or scarcity or you know, censorship resistant or all that other bullshit. They're going to yeah. say, hey. Crypto is a better fucking system. Yeah. And when they say that, that's when the traditional financial industry is in real trouble. Real yes. trouble. And I think that is that is from this critical mass of not just bodies, it's capital, it's um it's it's bringing over like the all of the small companies that have the ability to implement um to implement larger scale blockchain solutions, larger scale I hate the word solutions larger scale um, uh, applications to implement, you know, security measures, but that all happens at like the young stages of a company. So we need to wait or, or it will be a long road still for us to, to move into scaled blockchain applications. And like, yes. as far as, as far as apps go, like Streambed is a, is an app that uses the blockchain. It's not a blockchain app. But what and people so, don't realize is that we're moving very quickly now. Companies are definitely, and yeah, the, the quick quick injection of capital, like the amount of money raised in ICOs that you know in twenty eighteen was more than global venture capital. Like that that oh, critical that. mass of 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 like sort of force that is going through is one thing, 
but figuring out how we fit within the current, like we talk about the transition from web two to web three a lot. Um, and, and we have to figure out how to play in web two. Otherwise we won't get all of the web two people because all of the people oh, who are, point. we won't, we have to be a, like, that's, that's why stream it as a tool and not its own platform. There are a lot of like, like you talk about like voice or library or minds or like, so you're these platform other, agnostic, CMS. right? Like we're platform agnostic because we're a tool. We publish to two different tools. So we serve as an immutability tool for web two. And we serve as a publishing tool for the web three apps that exist. How can anyone follow a uh, stream bed and, and play around with it? Is there a beta? Is how can they follow you? Oh, like, we actually created a special link for your listeners. No, you didn't. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Okay. So if you we go to put it in the, the show the notes app is too. in beta right now. Um, so you're uh, the first person to ever do that. So now I'm going to tell my other yes. guests, if you give me a special yes. link, we'll put it in the show notes and the listeners. Yeah. Can. yeah. So if you go to, um, streambedmedia.com forward slash Charlie, awesome. then you will get early access to the app. It is free for humans to use and will be free for humans to use always. Um, it's an enterprise SaaS model. So if you're a human, you don't have to worry about paying to use it ever. Um, and you just go in, you attach your social media accounts, and then you just start publishing to YouTube or publishing your tweets and it'll give you a mutable proof that those things happen. So it's really great for someone like me. So I'm taking this podcast, right. And I'm posting it on like 15 different social and, and I'm doing it manually. So mm -hmm. now not only like the experience on, on the user end is still the same. Like it's still going to show up on Facebook, Twitter, everything the same. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, similar to like a tweet deck or like a, uh, uh, like, like a, a or any of those megaphone other. or Hootsuite and yeah. they have all these. But the difference here is that you're not just giving me immutable proof, but you're also giving the enterprise guy on the other side this metadata, not my specific data, but this metadata now to give me the opportunity to monetize my content in a different way. Yeah. And, and to prove that, prove your association. So like you as untold stories have sponsors of this podcast. You have, you're trying to provide value to them. You're trying to find a way to, to sort of quantify your own audience. And you as a creator are a perfect user where you publish your podcast and then you delegate it to like, you have, you know, super impressive speakers. Like you had Adam Healy at the CISO at back at a uh, uh, BlockFi, who was at that. Um, and you had, you know, you've had Jeff Garzik, you've had a whole bunch of other people. And those people all have massive audiences that, that you should be able to prove your association with them. And they should be able to prove that they were uh, on your podcast, right? Like that contributor awesome. part of it is a whole other layer of like, here's my immutable association with all these other people. That's how I like quantify my network of hyper connector people. I'm like, I just want to use this to prove to you all the cool people that I know. I've never heard of anyone doing anything like this before. So it's very exciting. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for, for talking about it, for having these conversations. We had some great takeaways, embedded cultural assumptions. That's probably the, the title of the show. Uh, Jenna Pilgrim, <laughs> everyone will follow you. Streambedmedia.com forward slash Charlie for those who want to get early access. Thank you so much. Thank you, Charlie. We'll talk to you soon.